microphone on. It's great to be back. I've, already, I've almost cried twice already this morning, which if you know me, yeah, no shocker there. Um, so we'll see if I can do this preaching thing without crying. Um, it is really fun to be back and see y'all's faces. Is this the first service without a mask? Really good to see your faces. So if you want to turn to page 907 in the Pew Bible, we're going to be jumping in to John chapter 21 this morning, which is Jesus' third appearance to his friends and followers after his resurrection from the dead. Um, this is a breakfast on a seashore. We're not going to read the whole story, I want to just focus on this last conversation that Jesus has with one of his closest companions, Peter, and the beloved disciple, John. And here's my goal. As we, as we enter into this conversation that Jesus has with Peter, I want all of us to be invited to grow in a deeper sense of our need for Jesus' presence and a stronger confidence that he's with us. A deeper sense of our need for Jesus' love to be with us, and a stronger confidence that he is with us and that he loves us. This is Peter's restoration after his betrayal and failure on the night that Jesus was crucified. And, and though we might not have failed like Peter failed, all of our hearts and lives need restoring by Jesus coming and being with us. And so this passage applies to all of us. This conversation applies to all of us. Um, it's at moments sad, at moments funny, but at all points, by the power of the Holy Spirit, this word of God is here to restore our souls. So let's hear the Lord speak. Let me pray. We'll read these verses, and then uh, we'll walk through the story together. So Jesus, I ask now, that this good word, this gospel that you have given us would not just sit on the page, but by the power of the Holy Spirit would be living in our hearts and minds and transform us because you are with us, you speak to us, you love us. And because of these things, would you work this morning through your word, by your spirit. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we ask this. Amen. These are new since I left. <laughs> Getting old. Presbyopia. Um, true Presbyterian. John 21, verses 12 through 24. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? For they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and he gave it to them and so with the fish... This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Peter said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend to my sheep. Jesus said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him this third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. 
Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death Peter was to glorify God. And he ended up being martyred for the faith. And after saying this, Jesus said to him, follow me. Now, after this glorious moment, Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who had leaned back against him during the supper and had said, Lord, who is it that's going to betray you? And, and Peter saw him, John, and he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, if it's my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You, you follow me. So the saying spread abroad among the brothers that the disciple was not to die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die, but rather, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? This is the disciple, John, who is bearing witness about these things and has written these things that we may know that his testimony is true. This is the word of the Lord. deeper sense of our need for Jesus and a stronger confidence that he is with us in his love. Peter's restoration is an invitation to all of us to be restored. And after the last season of our lives, I'm sure all of us have areas of our hearts and our habits that we want Jesus to restore, where we want him to draw near and make us new. But before we get to that conversation, I want to remind you what, what had happened before the conversation took place. Seven of the disciples had toiled all night on the waters of the sea, sea probably not unlike Lake Michigan, never been to the Sea of Tiberias, but I don't think it's small. And they had failed to catch fish. Their, ends were, their nets were empty. And you can imagine not many days after Jesus was crucified, and after they'd already met the resurrected Jesus in his flesh twice, what that night on the boat might have been like. Fishermen tell stories. In this case, they weren't telling stories about catching fish, because they weren't. Instead, they were probably telling stories about Jesus and wondering, what in the world was their life going to be like now that he was gone? Some of their stories, I'm sure, were beautiful some of them, I'm certain, were funny. Many of them were probably filled with shame. And for Peter, certainly failure. They were on their own in the dark of the night, in the empty net, probably felt about like their life at that moment, on that sea, alone, adrift, languishing. Feel familiar? But then a glimmer on the shore. They see a fire, the beginning of morning light, and they hear a voice throw the net to the other side. And, and they do. And they catch 153 fish. And the net is about to break as they try to pull it in. And John, the beloved, the chief witness, the author of the book that we just read a portion of, instantly knows it's the Lord. And he shouts, it's Jesus. And Peter, impetuous, brash, think or act first, think later, 
with his clothes on, jumps into the water and swims to shore because the boat is moving too slow. And then while the others are sitting in the boat, Peter by himself, proving that he is the rock, hauls the net in with the 153 fish. And Jesus invites all seven to bring some of the fish that they caught to cook with the fish that he's already prepared to feed them a meal to enjoy their presence. And after that breakfast, after that breakfast on the shore with the resurrected Jesus, the third time that Jesus has showed up to show that he is real and that he is alive to his followers and that sin and death are truly conquered on his cross. The third time he shows, we come to this conversation between Jesus and Peter. This intimate moment between Jesus and two of his closest friends. He, t- he pulls John and Peter aside. John, the beloved witness, and Peter, the rock upon which Jesus will build his church. And there's a shocking honesty, I think, to what the story that we are invited to remember about possibly the church's most important leader, Peter, and the beloved disciple, John. The fact that John, the trustworthy witness, the gospel author, preserves this story about Peter at the moment of his restoration, for all of us to remember and tell one another and read in church, um, is amazing to me. It's, It's funny, but it's also instructive. John is not being mean to Peter to tell about this moment. He's not being demeaning. Um, Instead, there's this charming transparency in the way that John tells Peter's story for the world to remember about one of its strongest, most important leaders. And it invites all of us to greater honesty with Jesus and with ourselves about the truth of our story so that we can see our need more clearly and have more confidence that Jesus is with us in his love. There's an old Puritan preacher who illustrated the spiritual power of this this passage when he said that when a rope is broken or cut and you still need to use it, the knot that you use to restore the rope brings the ends closer to one another. And so Jesus is bringing Peter closer to himself as he restores the broken and frayed rope of Peter's life with his presence. The ends become closer as the knot is tied. And so with us, as Jesus restores the broken and frayed parts of our lives with knots, he's drawing us closer to himself so that we can know him and have more confidence that he is with us and for us. And so here's the three things I want us to consider this morning as we kind of walk briefly through this story. That Jesus gives us grace to embrace our story instead of hiding it. That he gives us freedom to stop comparing ourselves with others. And he invites us to follow and be with him. Grace to embrace our story, freedom from comparison, and the invitation to be with Jesus. This story is Peter's restoration, but it's also an invitation for us to be restored as well. It teaches us how Jesus, in his love and gentleness, restores us to beauty 
to dignity to being with him. Um, Gary Burge, a commentator who wrote on this passage, says the work of the church can only go forward when we are unburdened of the destructive memories that we carry through the gracious forgiveness of God. Can you imagine the destructive memories that Peter carried adrift in that boat all through that night before he came ashore and had a meal with Jesus? Can you hear the destructive memories that you carry that make you feel like you're adrift in the night instead of sitting at a meal with Jesus, his love with you? I'm sure we all have them. Adrift in the boat at night with empty nets, Peter carried a debilitating weight of shame. Both internal shame, his character, and external shame, the things that he'd done, that others had seen. Instead of being the rock of the church, he probably felt more like a sinking stone. Because all of his, all of his successes had been coupled with failures. Think about the moment that he confessed that Jesus was the Messiah. Do you remember what he did next? He told Jesus that you can't go to the cross. And what does Jesus say to him? Get behind me, Satan. The very moment his name was changed to be the rock, he's also called Satanic. Which part of the story do you remember? Which part of the story do you tell? Which part of the story, which picture goes on Instagram? You see, with all of our successes, we also carry the shame of failure. Peter's story was in the boat with him that night. Our stories we carry with us. At moments, we all feel debilitated by shame and loneliness, adrift with empty nets. You know, we might be wealthy and secure, but the other side of the coin might be that we're emotionally and relationally bankrupt. We could be physically fit and healthy, yet the reality of our soul could be barren. We might be beautiful, yet we feel adrift without purpose. We could be well-read and intelligent and insightful, yet terrible at making practical decisions about life. Every person, in some aspect of their story, carries and feels the weight of shame. And that shame makes us feel alone and empty, and it makes us want to hide. And here, like Peter, Jesus comes to us and he asks this question. Do you love me? Do you love me? Jesus comes to Peter and asks him, Do you love me? And in asking that question, Jesus is giving Peter and he's giving me and he's giving you grace to embrace all of our story, not just parts of it. All of our story, not just parts of it. Jesus is not scolding Peter for not loving him enough. He's not magnifying the shame of his betrayal or making fun of him that he jumped in the water with all his clothes on instead of waiting for the boat to draw, come to shore. He is teaching Peter that he is offering grace to embrace all of his story. Look at what he calls Peter. Small little detail. Simon. Son of John, do you love me? 
He doesn't use the public name, Peter, the rock. The leader, Simon, son of John. Simon, the name that your mother gave you, the name that was called out on the playground, the name that is what you call yourself when you're all alone. Do you love me? His real name, Simon, son of John. Before everybody looked at you to be the leader of the church, back when you were just you, do you love me? A subtle hint that Jesus invites us to stop hiding, to be ourselves, to embrace all of our story, because that's what Jesus knows, and that's what Jesus loves. You know, the, the idea of like having a curated self, like that's, that idea is kind of on steroids now with social media, right? We choose the right moments, the right places, the right people to display for the world to see, to tell the story of me that I wish was the story of me, right? The parts that you want people to see. And you don't have to be on social media to know this is true. But if you're on social media, you know the anxiety even more, right? The story I wish was my story. The story I want everybody to see. The selective, pretty parts. Real life always threatens and crushes the curated story. Did that for Peter? It does that for us. Peter felt shame. We feel shame. Jesus comes to us. He knows our name. He knows our story. And he asks, do you love me? Do you love me? Jesus gives us grace to embrace the full story of our life. Don't let it be lost on you that like this moment is captured. There's only three people who witnessed it. Jesus, Peter, John. And we get to see it. We get to see the moment. Peter wants you to see the moment where his life was unveiled, where he had this really intimate conversation with Jesus, where he, he, he realized, I'm known. He knows, he knows what I did. He knows who I am. He's still with me. He still loves me. He still wants to use me to change the world, to minister the gospel to other people. Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Did you hear that question? It's kind of a crazy question, isn't it? What's your response when you hear that question? Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? This is like me going to my oldest daughter and asking her if she loves me more than her little sister. Right? He's got the other disciples are right there. Simon, son of John, do you love me more than the other seven disciples love me? It's crazy, isn't it? Why would Peter do that? I mean, why would Jesus do that to Peter? Well, Peter was the one on the night that Jesus was betrayed, told everybody that he loved Jesus more than they did, right? He said, these might fall away, not me. I'm not going to fall away. I'm more committed. I love you more. And Jesus is kind of saying subtly, like, really? Really? Remember that moment? I know that moment. I'm still with you. I still love you. I've still prepared a meal for you on the shore. I still want you to follow me. I know your story. I know your name. In spite of your actions, in spite of your story, I've chosen you to love, to include. Peter's only defense in the weight, as the weight of that question settled upon his life, 
was that Jesus knew him, that Jesus knew his heart. He's like, yeah, Lord, I love you. You know everything. You know that I love you. Peter couldn't look at his resume or his ministry record or his accomplishments to prove that he loved Jesus. His only appeal to the reality of the love in his heart for his Savior was what Jesus knew of him. It's a desperate moment when all you can do is appeal to the knowledge of God that he has of you. And that's where Peter is. He's not arguing what he's done. He's not arguing his story. Jesus knows that Peter loves him. And Jesus wants Peter to know that Peter loves Jesus. Did you catch that? Jesus knows that Peter loves him, and Jesus wants Peter to know that too. Because when Peter looks at his life, he's not so sure. And so by repeating the question, do you love me? Jesus is gently guiding Peter to the moment where he can say, yes, I do. And when Peter looks at Jesus, he's just desperate. Like, you know my heart. You know that I love you. In spite of what I've done, you know that I love you. He had tried to be the rock. He had tried to be Peter, the leader of the church. And at every moment, his success was mixed with failure, and he was carrying the shame of imposter's syndrome. When am I going to be found out? When are they going to know the truth? Let's just go fish. And here Jesus gives Peter freedom from imposter's syndrome by saying, you know what, the whole story of your life is the story that I know and love and am going to use. And we all need Jesus to come and ask this type of question so that we can see our story in the light and hope of Jesus' love and presence and grace. That moment is not easy, though, right? This story, this refrain of repeated questions is not like all happy, happy, right? Did you notice where it ends? Peter's grieved. The third time Jesus asked the question, do you love me? Peter is brought to sadness. And I just think we have to be honest that sometimes being known by God is hard. Sometimes being known by Jesus makes us weep because we would rather he not know us. But the joy of being known, the joy of being with Jesus is better than hiding. It's, it, it, it's greater than the grief. That first moment of tears turns to a moment of comfort and Peter knows for certain that Jesus is with him and that Jesus bore his shame on the cross and in his life and even in his resurrection, he's going to put his name and his mission in the life of one like Peter, Simon, son of John, and one like me and one like you. And this is a joyous comfort. This moment in verse 19 is so tender, this final conversation between the resurrected Lord and Peter where he is restored after all his failures to lead a life of dignity and purpose. This is a moment of kind of 
spiritual triumph and heroism on Jesus' part. But then look what happens next in verse 20. This is where we get to the freedom from comparing part. Verse 20, immediately Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved. And when Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about him? What about him? This just feels so like me. A moment of spiritual intimacy and then right back into my own ways, old ways, right? Like, Jesus knows me. He's with me. I do love him. Yeah, but what about him? He, he just, like, right back to the competition, right back to the comparing. Like, okay, great, I get to follow you. What about John, the one you love? Like, what's he going to do? What are you going to do with him? In the comparing, you, you can just see Jesus in this passage saying you don't get it yet. You don't get it yet. You're still comparing yourself to others. It's still, am I better? Am I more loved? Am I stronger? Am I more winsome? The comparison, the habit of comparison is like the habit of breathing. And and what it does in our lives is it steals from us the joy of what Jesus is doing in our lives and the nearness of him with us. Comparison makes me feel like I need Jesus less and makes me forget that he is with me. Um, And the simple solution to comparing is to look to Jesus. Not to look to others, but to look to Jesus. Jesus quickly turns Peter away, his gaze away from John, and says, nope, follow me. Look at me, right here, the face, my words. Follow me. Stop comparing. You are free from the trap of comparing. It's been told to me that it's hard to listen to your spouse and talk radio at the same time. You can't, do, you can't listen to two voices at once. You can't listen to the voice of what you think about yourself in comparison to your neighbor and listen to the voice of what Jesus thinks about you, your Savior. You're freed from comparing. Grace to embrace your story, freed from comparing, invited to be with Jesus. Do you love me? Jesus says, do you love me? This is the same Jesus who is the Lord of Psalm 139, who said, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. The Jesus who knows you asks this question Do you love me? To remind and teach us that by his grace, through faith in the gospel, our hearts say yes. Yes, I do love you. You know everything. You know that I love you, not because of me, but because you who knew me before the foundations of the world gave me faith to love you. Well, what does Jesus say next? If you love me, what? Feed my sheep. Tend my lambs. Feed my sheep. Love, serve, and encourage my children, your brothers and sisters. Jesus invites us to join him, the resurrected one, 
in his work and his love and his feeding of those he came to save. Jesus invites us. This, this is not, this follow me is not an invitation to imitate Jesus. It's an invitation to join Jesus, to be with him, to participate in what he is doing, to feed his sheep. It's not imitation, it's participation. Jesus is inviting us to invest our life in spiritually supporting other Christians with words of the gospel, with prayer, with acts of love. Why? Because the vertical presence of God's love with us becomes real in horizontal acts of love and service to other followers of Jesus. The vertical love that Jesus has for you, his presence with you, becomes more real and tangible as you love and serve those around you. Participating with Jesus in what he is doing in the family of God. We need this, don't we? I mean, this year, we need this. Because in so many ways, our lives have been hidden and distant and far off from one another. It only makes sense that the love of God, the care of Jesus, might also seem far away, distant, masked. And these things work together, doing love with and for one another as followers of Jesus is the means that Jesus' presence and grace and power becomes more real to our hearts and our souls. The horizontal love between Christians, spiritual friendship, service for and towards God's children, Jesus' sheep, is the path in which we experience belonging to Jesus with the fullness of our story, free from comparing, enjoying that Jesus wants to eat a meal and be with us and give us his love. You know, one of the challenges, especially in a place like the North Shore, is that it's hard to ask people for help. It's hard to be needy. It's hard to be the one that people offer service to. But let me encourage you, when you don't ask for help, you're not giving your brothers and sisters in the Lord the opportunity to serve you and experience the love and presence of Jesus in new ways. As you give yourselves to one another, the love of Jesus becomes more a tangible reality in your life. When we are alone, Jesus feels far off. When we are together in love, that love becomes closer. I mean, it's so simple, yet so hard. Why? Because Jesus said, if you want to be my follower, you're going to have to take up your cross and follow me. And so it's not an easy platitude to love and serve one another. I mean, the reason we don't do it is because it could cost us everything. But in gaining or losing everything, we gain intimacy with Jesus. And what a beautiful thing. Do you love me? 
Jesus asked, do, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know everything. You know I love you. Then follow me in loving God's children with your lives. Grace to embrace our stories. Freedom to stop comparing. And the invitation to participate in what the living Jesus is doing to love and tend his sheep. What a great privilege we have. Let's pray. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, come and make our lives new. Restore our hope. Restore our hearts. Restore our lives. That we can just sit and enjoy a meal with you as we love one another. We ask this in your Son's name. Amen.